What is the great benefit that Christianity bestows on the world? What is it that Christianity uniquely offers to the world? What is it as a religion, what is the great benefit Christianity offers to the world? Uh, some people would say, well, Christianity offers a system of morals and ethics that come from a higher motivation than you would find anywhere else. Others would say, well, it, um, love. Christianity offers love. As love fills God's people, they pour it out into a world that desperately needs some love. Others would say, well, um, like a sense of purpose, you know, knowing why you were put on the planet, a sense of purpose and a sense of inner calm that some would say is peace, right? Peace that passes all understanding. Now, I don't doubt that Christianity does provide a great system of morals and ethics. Uh, the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, it's in there. I don't deny that. But that's not the great benefit that Christianity bestows upon the world. And I wouldn't doubt that Christians are filled with God's love and certainly should pour out that love to the world. And I don't doubt that Christianity gives a sense of purpose and what we would call peace. But you can get, to some measure, you can get love. You can find love in other communities. You can, you can find a peace and to some measure and purpose. No, the great benefit from which these are byproducts, the great benefit that Christianity bestows upon the world is this. Christianity, uniquely and only Christianity, offers a real solution to man's ultimate problem. Christianity offers a solution to the problem of how human beings can go from being under the wrath of God for an eternity in hell to being under the grace of God for an eternity in heaven. That is the great benefit that Christianity bestows on the world. It's forgiveness of sins. Now, what that says, and what, what I'm trying to say, I don't doubt that health problems are real problems. I don't doubt that uh, emotional problems are real. I don't doubt that there are a lot of other felt needs, but that's the point. What Christianity offers is the ultimate need, the need beneath all the other needs, and that's forgiveness of sin, to be put in a right relationship with God. That is what is unique to Christianity. Now, I, 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 often I'll make you sort of work for it. You kind of inductively get to the main point. I'll give it to you right out front today. Here it is. If you're a note taker, here's the big point. You ready? Oftentimes, our felt need is not actually our deepest need. Our felt need, our perceived need, is not often our deepest need. Our pressing need is not our primary need. What we want is not always what we need, the need beneath our need. And we get, sometimes we even get frustrated because they're real needs, I don't doubt. Loss and depression and discouragement and anxiety and loneliness and health and money issues and marriage and family and relationships. And you go, I got all this brokenness, I got all these needs, but underneath that, Ultimate need, forgiveness of sins. And sometimes we look at God and we go, God, if you're good, why aren't, what's going on? Why are all these problems in my life? Why are all these things falling apart? And sometimes, honestly, you come to church and it's like, I got all these problems in the real world. I go to church, right? I, I'm looking for inner peace. I'm looking for calm. I'm looking for encouragement. I'm looking for some health. I'm, I'm all that. And I go, and, the, and, and, and at church they talk about the gospel, the forgiveness of sins. And it's like, that's great. But I got all these other real needs. You know what I mean? What is that? And it's almost like, 
It's a big missing of the point. And you leave and you're like, fine, back in the real world. Oh, listen, if you've ever thought that, if you've ever looked at God and said, God, why, why aren't you, do, what about the real world? How does all this stuff work in real life? This text is for you. This is a word for you today. If you've ever thought, I've got these anxieties and I've got these, these worries, I've got these fears, I've got these money problems, I need health, I've got real problems. God, if you're so good, why aren't you? As one middle schooler once brilliantly put it, if God is so good, why can't I get my locker open? <laughs> I've always loved that. In other words, where's God in the real world? Not on a Sunday morning. I'm talking like, like Wednesday afternoon when you're angry and you're hangry and you're, right? What? This is your text. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Your felt need is not our deepest need. Our most pressing problem is not our primary problem. And we'll see that in this text today. Hey, it's a familiar story. You, you've, some of you that grew up in church, you have heard this story since you were in Sunday school as a little kid. You have um, perhaps taught this as a Sunday school lesson to little children. You'll know it immediately. You'll remember it. And when he, this is Jesus, and when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. We don't know whose home this was. Was it Peter's house, Peter's family? Since Peter was telling Mark all the stories, maybe it was Peter's, maybe it was Jesus' childhood home, maybe it was somebody's house, we don't know. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. You've heard of standing room only? What do you call it when there's no standing room? Well, I, I mean, that's the business about not even at the door. It's not like, well, I'll just sit in the overflow. You know what? sit in the balcony no there is no room you can't even see him from a distance from the door and what was Jesus doing he was preaching the word to them uh, that's not why they were there by the way they were there for the show they were there for the healings a little background I know I know we, we keep going with verse three and four but a little background you need to understand he had just been on a healing tour and the healing ministry is what drew the crowds he just healed a leopard he healed all these people and he knew he even says we've got to leave here because I've got to preach to other towns, for that is why I came. Everybody's coming to me for the healing, but they're going to so much attracted so much to the healing that they're going to miss the point. I'm here what? The deepest need, proclaiming the gospel, the forgiveness of sins. That explains, by the way, a mystery that some of you have often wondered as you've read the gospels. You've often wondered, why is it when Jesus does a healing, he will often heal somebody and then be like, hey, shh, keep this on the down low. This is just between us. I'm going to heal you, but don't you tell a soul. You, you, I'm going to heal you, but if you post this on social media, so help me, right? Keep it on the download. You ever wonder why he did that? Doesn't Jesus want his glory to go out? Why? Because what's he doing? He is trying to pump the brakes from the onslaught that a healing ministry brings. Because if so many people inundate him for the healing, they'll miss his real ministry, which was the preaching and teaching the giving of the gospel. So he has to slow that down. That's why he's always saying, time's not, not yet. Don't, because the healing ministry is the glamorous ministry. That's why they're there. He was preaching, but look, and they came to hear a sermon. No, they came because Jesus is the miracle worker. His fame is spread all through the northern part of that Sea of Galilee. They've heard about him. He just healed a leopard. Man, Jesus is on fire. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Sounds like you got a paralytic and he's carried and they're going to bring him right to Jesus. But problem, what? The house is full. You can't even get to the door. So when they, verse 4, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, <laughs> They remove the roof above him. Isn't that great? 
the, uh, the, the Greek is they unroofed the roof. <laughs> and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. You got the story? Isn't this great? Man, Jesus is in town. If we can just get him to Jesus. Bro, you ready? Ready or not, we're taking you, man. We're, getting, we're going to Jesus. And when they get there, if we can just get him to Jesus, he's on a roll. He's healing everybody. Finally. So like, be honest. Like, what's the first thing you're going to do when you're going to walk? What are you going to do? You're going to play golf? Disc golf? Or this guy? Like, what are you going to do, man? Like, are you, are you going to dance? Are you, I mean, they're talking about they're getting Because he's going to heal him. He's obviously going to heal him, right? Oh, man. They get him there only to find what? Only to find a pretty harsh crowd, wouldn't you admit? Like this at capacity, not like COVID capacity, like capacity, capacity. Like you couldn't put another person in there and you can't even like peer in, Jesus, Jesus. But my thing is like, what kind of crowd? I mean, obviously if you saw this crowd standing there and you saw the paralytic with the four friends, you knew immediately what, you know, immediately what they wanted. Pretty harsh, isn't it, for the crowd? I mean, you'd think if that, if you were in that crowd, you'd be like, hold up, hold up. Yeah, I, okay, I see the issue. Uh, psst, excuse me, we're gonna, yeah, we need to make a little room, get here. And so this crowd looks at him like, take a number. <laughs> Wait your turn, right? We're all here for the same thing. We all got problems. We all need healing. And so they get all the way there, only to find out they've come so close and they can't, can't get to Jesus. Standing around, and now everybody's starting to get discouraged. I mean, all our hopes are in Jesus. And they, one of them steps up. Okay, now we're going to solve this. I'll lead the way because I have an MBA. And he takes his business degree and he says, I've created the following spreadsheet with options. <laughs> now we're going to do what we call a brainstorming session. And at this brainstorming session, there's no dumb ideas. And one of the guys, he's a little tatted up, kind of out of the box. He's like, well, we could climb up on the roof. I'm wrong. There are dumb ideas. What's next? <laughs> And the guy's like, what are you talking about? Now, now, now back, we put our stairwells on the inside of our houses. They had stairwells on the outside of their houses. Flat, one-story buildings. You would climb up this external stairwell, and there you'd get to a roof. Really, they would use it a lot like we use maybe a deck. It was made of beams, but within the beams, you had not, not shingles like we have. You, you would make a thatch, mud. So imagine a bunch of mud over the years packed together with twigs and branches, eventually forming a solid layer you could, you could walk on. You with me? He says, yeah, we're, we're going to go up there. We're gonna, we're, let's take him up to the roof. And everybody's like, millennials. <laughs> to which the kid's like, okay, boomer, we're going to rip a hole in the roof. Well, what's that going to do? What are you talking? Yeah, yeah. I say we rip a hole in the roof and we drop him down. He's like, that's insane. I know. Who's going to pay for this? Haven't thought of that. But we're going to, all we know is, man, he can work it off. He's going to, well, all we have to do is get him in front of Jesus. He can walk home. We don't have to get him back up. We can, Jesus is going to heal him. Let's tear a hole in the roof. They let nothing stop them. Don't, don't miss this. They let nothing stop them from getting to Jesus. They, so they climb up there. You hear footsteps. They begin digging away. We're going to rip a hole in the roof to get to Jesus. Let me ask you something. Is there something between you and Jesus right now? They were willing to rip a hole in the roof. So get past the doubt. Come on. Get, get past that obstacle. Well, but it's early on a Sunday morning. Tear a hole in the roof. That's a word for a church too. And I think this church, in no small measure, I believe, needs to be commended. And I know it's just my personal experience, so I have a limited perspective. 
But they were willing to rip a hole in the roof. They were willing to put a sunroof in this person's living room in order to get this person to Jesus. They would, listen to me, they would do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. And here's my story, my personally. I had some trepidation in leaving the world of church planting where I had been for 14 years. Where, I mean, it, to come to a very older church. 100, we're 140-something years old, 143 years old. Well, over time, in a 143-year-old church, you develop traditions and ways of doing things. And those things and those buildings become more sacred than the point for which they were built. And so I thought, I mean, here I am coming from church planting world where we're ripping holes in roofs. All, we don't even have roofs. Woohoo! The whole world's a sunroof. It's chaos. The Wild West. We do anything to get you to Jesus. I come here and I'm expecting, now, nah, preacher, we can't do that. You know what I found? Just the opposite. Just the opposite. Over, over time, it has occurred to me that the members at this church will rip a hole in the roof if it'll bring one more to Jesus. That's the way you feel. That's good. That's a good thing. That's saying, hey, no, no, no. We're, we're, not, we're not beholden to, to, to traditions and, and have it. We, we just want to reach them for Jesus. They let nothing keep them from Jesus. And so they make their way and they begin tearing. And it's hot. I mean, it's like a, uh, uh, I had a friend that visited Capernaum to go to the site. And he said the day he was there it was 120 degrees. So they're, you know, they're sweating in there. That's what's going on outside. Let me ask you, can you imagine being inside the house? You're listening to Jesus, you could hear a pin drop, and then you hear footsteps on the roof. That's unusual. Eh, perhaps they're working on the roof. Oh, they're working on the roof. <laughs> and then you're, you're listening to Jesus, and suddenly some little trickles of, of dirt begin to fall down into Jesus' hair as he's preaching. Like, what on earth? <laughs> And then a little bit more. And you know, like when they got a big one, they caught a big clod, right? At that point, the sermon is effectively over. <laughs> As dirt is falling down. Do you ever find that you get like distracted in a sermon? <laughs> okay, this is not just distraction. This is the roof falling down. So Jesus is preaching and teaching and they're done with that. And they're looking up there. And, and as soon as they start to see four little heads, you know, pop over, sweat stripping down, right? And what does it say? They lower the paralytic down. It's kind of uneven. Whoa, steady boys, right? I always imagine, well, from the perspective of the guy on the mat, he sees his four friends smiling. It's going to work, right? Because they could have ripped open a a hole in the roof and been nowhere near Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. Sling him like what? So it was a great, I've never heard a sermon about that. The engineering it took to pick the right spot. It's like battleship right there, B1. They nailed it. Anyway, they drop him down. But I love the idea of the guy. He's looking up. He sees the four friends. He's getting that. And then when he gets eye level to Jesus, what's up? <laughs> I got great friends. <laughs> Lower him down. Mark says nobody says a word. Mark records no, nobody speaking. I have to imagine Jesus laughs at the whole thing. I imagine Jesus just belly laughs. But we don't, we don't have any record of that. We don't have anybody saying anything. And there he is. Four friends sweating, panting. <sighs> Jesus looks up, and what does he see? Verse 5. And when Jesus saw, whoa. When Jesus saw whose faith? Say it. When Jesus saw their faith. Doesn't that flip something on its head? Aren't we always told if you have enough faith, and it's your faith. No. When he sees the faith of the friends. When he sees their faith. I know it's not the main point, but how can you preach on this and not Say a word about these four friends, huh? I mean, thinking, 
They were so confident in Jesus, they lower him down. They tear a hole in the roof and lower him down. Jesus can see their faith. How was Jesus able to see their faith? How was Jesus able to look in their hearts and know that they had faith in Jesus? How? Well, one is you're like, because he's Jesus. He can read minds. And that's true. But there's another reason. Because you can always see true faith. And you don't have to be Jesus for that. Listen carefully. Always. Your faith is demonstrated. Jesus could see their faith. Everybody could see their faith. You know what faith looks like? It looks like a hole in a roof. Faith, do you remember the sermon series on James? Faith obedience. Listen carefully. Your works, what you do, I know exactly what you believe. I can tell you right now, every one of you has faith in these chairs. Because you didn't just didn't talk about the chair. You didn't study the chair. You came and actually put your full weight into the chair and hoped that it would hold you. So I know you have faith in that chair right now. I know exactly what you believe. You know, you read my mind, some prophet. I'm a non-prophet. But I can tell you that, that you believe that chair would hold you. Fair? Why? Because your works, listen to me, your works are always, 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 your works are just what you believe gone public. Your works are what you believe gone public. Why, do you, why did you steal? Because deep down, you didn't really believe God was your good shepherd and he'd provide for you, so you had to take it. Why do, why do you hold a grudge? Because deep down, you don't believe God's a perfect judge and you have to take matters into your own hands. Why are you so generous? Because you really believe your heavenly father's a good, good father and he's gonna care for you and so you can share. I know what you believe. Look at your life. Now, we don't always see perfectly. I understand that, but your works... Or your faith gone public. So Jesus saw their faith. It was a confident faith. It was a compassionate faith. And I love this. It was a creative faith. Man, they just, if we can just get them to Jesus. You ever heard the expression, I got all my eggs in one basket? I mean, that's what they're doing. Are you doing anything in your life right now that's absolutely going to fail unless God intervenes? You want to try something like that? I mean, we need to do all, let's be doing something where we are stranded on the omnipotence of God. That's when the Christian life is fun. When you're, you have no business sharing your faith, this person's never gonna believe, but God. So you go and you share. And these situations where you think there's no hope, you give, why? You charge into what looks like a losing battle, why? Because you're stranded on the omnipotence of, faith, of God and it is a creative faith. Well, let's tear a hole in the roof. You know what the moral of their story, you know what the moral of the story is? I'll, I'll quit with the four friends, but I mean, come on. Like, A, you, I'll quit with the four friends after this. Sometimes, sometimes you're the friends in church. I've noticed this. Sometimes you're the friends and you need to drag your friends to church. And other times, you're the guy flat on your back on the mat. That's how life is. I know <clears throat> right now, you do, <clears throat> excuse me, you do too. There are people in our congregation that for years have been those compassionate, faithful friends, and they've been pulling everybody to Jesus. They've been encouraging others. And when they were down, they would build them up. And now, because of some life event, they are flat on their back. And that's how a church is. One day you may be the helper, the next you may be completely weak. And you've got friends around you. You have a church family, a community. That's why those Sunday school class is so important for starters. But more than that, friendships. And they're picking you up. And the next day you may be the helper and the next day you may be the one needing help. Does that make sense? And I imagine that the faith of those friends encouraged the faith of that paralytic. Bro, we got this. We just gotta get you to Jesus. You really think he'll do it? Of course he'll do it, man. He's Jesus. Let's go. And they get there 
another obstacle. Well, we tried. I guess you guys are going to take me home now. No, man. There's no I in Hebrew. It's just consonants. There's no I. Let's go. Let's get you up there. Let's do this, right? Come on. We were working together here. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Encourage. So sometimes you're the, you, you need to be the encourager. Other times, let's be honest. You could be the one being encouraged. It works both ways. The moral of the story is this. I promise I will stop talking about the friends and we'll get back to the action. But the moral of the story is this. And it's also the title of my sermon. It just goes to show. Four of a kind beats a full house. All the religious people are like, I don't get that reference. (laughs) Come ask the sinners. We'll tell you. We'll help you. We'll help you. (laughs) We'll help you. Back to the action. Jesus looks up. Everybody in the house. You know, one more thing about the friends. Physical paralysis is like um, uh, you can't move. I wonder if being lost, though, is that not a good metaphor for spiritual paralysis? You say, well, how's this person ever going to come to know Christ? They're not. They're dead. That's the point. Dead people don't get up and spiritually dead. They can't get up and ask for help. So what has to happen? Christians, we've got to carry the gospel to them. We've got to get them to Jesus. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying that, that, that you will work together with your friends to get that lost person to Jesus. Do you know why there were four friends? Do you know why the book of James says the elders of the church come together and pray over you? If any of you are sick, have the elders, plural, and anoint you with oil and pray. pray. Why is it four friends? Why not one friend? And here's his name. It's four friends because God loves stories where he gets all the glory and there's no one person that gets any glory see it's four friends we don't know we don't even know their names dad dad listen you want revival to break out in a in a city or a nation start just glorifying God and not caring who gets the credit lead your friend to Christ and you don't even care how You'll work together with all sorts of other Christians to do that. And you know what I'm praying is that Christians all around the globe will pick up the four corners of this planet and reach the lost for Jesus Christ. I'm praying, God, touch somebody's heart right here at this church. God, send down another missionary. You've done it. You've raised up a missionary at Coleman First Baptist Church. Then you've done it again. It's been, I've seen one sent out right here in my own time here. Oh, God, do it again. Do it again. Who is it? Who will stand up? Who will go? Is it you? There's a young man or a young woman who's hearing my voice right now. Is that not a call on your life? Don't ignore that. Okay, back to the action. Uh, when Jesus saw, yeah, verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, paralytic plop down there. Oh man, he's, he's got the attention of everybody now. <laughs> this, this person laid down there. They all know what he's going to do. All right, Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, oh, here it comes. This is what we all wanted to see. This is why we're crowded in the house. He's going to walk. He's going to jump. He's going to dance. Son, your sins are forgiven. Excuse me, what? Yup. Sin's forgiven. To which everybody's like, wah, wah. I mean, talk about a letdown. That's a play on words because the man was let down from the man. That's the ultimate letdown in the story, isn't it? Sins are forgiven. That's great, Jesus, but that's not why we're here. That's how a lot of people look at church. 
man, I need a boost today. Man, I need some encouragement. I need to be, I need to have my tank filled up. I need some, oh Lord, I've been asking you for this. And I'm, in fact, I got some ailments, but I'm, I'm looking for that power over, over healing. And I'm looking for that prosperity. And you come to church and you hear the gospel proclaimed, your sins and Jesus Christ are forgiven. And you're like, womp, womp. Like ships in the night. That's great. That is no real relevance to my life. By the way, that is why churches are always pressured to reposition themselves as meters of the felt needs always there's always pressure you ever wonder how do these preachers go off into that health and wealth and prosperity i know how they got there there's always pressure because these felt needs are so strong and so urgent they lose sight of what jesus said right here son your sins are forgiven yeah but jesus that's not why i'm here no but that's why you would be here if you could see like i see your felt need this morning is not your deepest need. That is, that is disappointing. It's, it, to many, it's offensive, to be honest with you. It's a little bit insensitive. To have this moment, I mean, hasn't this guy been beaten up enough? Hasn't he? I mean, really, let's talk, real talk. The guy's been beaten up, so to speak, his whole life. He's, I mean, here he is, paralytic, begging for every morsel. He comes, his friends finally get him to Jesus, and it's like victim shaming, almost. It's like, now we're gonna talk about his sins, I already feel bad enough. Why am I going to come to the house of the Lord only to hear more about sins? Crowd's disappointed. The man's let down. And I tell you this, Jesus has no problem straight up saying, your felt need is not your deepest need. Your physical need is evident. And I get it. Everybody can see it. But I'm telling you, your spiritual need is ultimate. Your physical need is temporary. Your spiritual need is forever. Your ultimate need this morning is not healing from God. It's holiness before God. Our ultimate need is not to be rid of our maladies, but to be reconciled to our maker. See? Well, everybody's disappointed. But there was another group who was not disappointed. They were incensed. They were outraged. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes were sitting there. Who were the scribes? Scribes are professional theologians. The Pharisees had some. The Sadducees had some. And there were some that were independent. And their job was to make sure everything was done by the book. And by the book, I mean the, the Torah, the Old Testament, the law. And their job was to study that book more than anything else in the world. And make sure that everything being taught was literally kosher so they they heard about this demon delivering disease healing rabbi out of nazareth and their job was to check up on him and they you know it's okay they're hearing some things they're checking it out he's done a lot of healings they got no problem with the healings but when they heard this man this human being say son your sins are forgiven some of them sitting there questioning in their hearts they never said it out loud they just thought it why does this man speak like that? You can't just say your sins are forgiven. Have you not read the Old Testament? Forgiveness is a process. You've got to go to the temple. You've got to offer a sacrifice. You've got to get a lamb. It's got to be a lamb without blemish. Now, if you're too poor for a lamb, if you can't afford a lamb, you can get little turtle doves. But if you show up and everybody else has got a lamb and you've got little pigeons, everybody's going to be like, oh, you can't afford a lamb. So they're going to judge you. And then when you get there, right, you've got to make your way to the temple. It's very expensive. You've got to get a Levite or a priest to help you load it onto the altar. There's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be blood everywhere. And then it doesn't last because the minute you sin again, you've got to do it again. There is a long and lengthy process to all this. Where's the temple, Jesus, where is the lamb, Jesus? You're just going to say you're forgiven? Who do you, who do you, do you realize, who do you think you are? 
And those of us that have been reading Mark is like, we've known since verse one of chapter one, for we've been let in on who he is. They don't know that. Who do you think you are? When you start talking like, I forgive sin, look at what they say. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. And they're not wrong about this part. They were wrong about the blasphemy because they didn't get the connection. But they're not wrong here. Who can forgive sins but God alone? For lots of reasons, but they're absolutely right. The Old Testament's, it's God alone who forgives sin. And the principle is very, very clear, isn't it? Um, if, uh, if Mo and Larry and Curly, the three stooges, are uh, doing a, a, a skit, and Mo punches Larry, and Curly says, it's okay, I forgive you, Mo." Well, that one didn't work. All right, if you, um, if you burn down my house, I could forgive you. But if you burn down my neighbor's house, I can't forgive you. Why? Because the only one who can forgive you of that offense is my neighbor. It had nothing to do with me. So for you to burn down your neighbor's house and be like, it's cool, it's cool, I'm gonna let it go. The neighbor would be like, oh, excuse me. You are not the offended party here. I am. Is that, that, that better than the Stooges? Uh, marginally, okay. Uh, it, every, according to scripture, every sin, the scribes were not modern people. The scribes were not modernists. If, if you are a postmodern person, if you ask somebody in America today, what is sin? They would say one of two things. They would say it's acting outside of my own values and morals. I went against my own values and morals. I sinned. Or I hurt someone, hurt someone else. That's why all the talk is about forgiving yourself or forgiving others. Because sin is, you went against your own morals, so you need to forgive yourself, or you hurt someone, therefore you need to be forgiven, or you know, be, uh, be forgiven by them. That's not the Bible definition of sin at all. The Bible definition says this, every sin is cosmic treason. You know what treason is? It's when you go against the, the ruler over you, the government over you, and you say, I don't want that government, I'm gonna be, I'm going to follow my own rules, my own government. Well, the, the, they take that pretty serious. The penalty for treason in this country is the death penalty in most countries throughout history. And the penalty, treason against God, is spiritual death, eternity in hell. And in the Garden of Eden, when God was the perfectly good king, we said, we don't want you as a king. We want to be our own king. And every sin, ultimately, is an offense against God. And so every sin, when Jesus looked at that man and he thought about the lust in his heart, he thought about the evil, he thought about the wickedness, the times he was selfish and filled with self-pity when he should have been full of compassion, how he had hurt other people, and their tears are still, they're still scarred from those hurts. He looked at everyone and said, ultimately, against God and God only have you sinned. And I'm here to tell you, I forgive you. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, he's got the attention of them all. And <laughs> I love this because it all ran through their minds. I love this. They didn't actually say any of that. The crowds are disappointed. They didn't have to say it. You could tell they were disappointed. The man is disappointed. Oh, that's great, Jesus. My sins are forgiven. Hoist me back up, guys. I got my sins forgiven. Woohoo! Hmm? The friends are like, Are you serious? Well, where, who, who's in the house where they do the healing thing? Because we're going to tear open their roof. The crowds are like, what? what? And, the, and, the, and the scribes, he knew what they thought. Blasphemy. So Jesus, and this is why you can't make this stuff up. It's brilliant. Jesus needed to get the attention of all those different groups. And now he has it. And immediately, Jesus 
perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? That's an incredible verse. They didn't say them, they just thought them. Can you imagine being a Pharisee? You're just thinking it, you're thinking it. You don't say it, you just think, who does this man think he is? And Jesus is like, why'd you just think that? Why'd you just, why'd you just ask yourself, who does this man think he is? Me. How'd you do that? <laughs> right? Jesus is saying, I'm not blind to the situation and I'm not blind to your thoughts. I know why he's here. But here we go. I know what you're thinking. I know this. I know something else about this man and it's a principle that applies to all of you and it's gonna apply in 2,000 years to folks in Coleman, Alabama. I know that your deepest need is not actually what you perceive to be your deepest need. And I'm here to meet your deepest need. And if you will get that straightened out, you'll never be able to handle these other things until you get that straightened out. It is your primary need. You don't just need to be rid of your maladies. And in fact, sometimes I'll even leave some maladies in your life to drive you to your deepest need because your prayer list pretty much looks like this. This is, this is my to-do list. Okay, Lord, this first one. Uh, I, want, I want my body to be in good shape and I want all, all my parts to work until I uh, die peacefully in my sleep at like 100 years old. So, you know, give me that health. And prosperity, I got financial issues. So, Lord, I, you know, I, I, need, I need to prosper. I need to do well. And if I'm single and you give me number one and number two, that'll really help my odds with number three. Uh, and uh, that'll give me that companionship that I'm longing for. But if you, you know, if you have a family and, or if you're in friendships, you know, I need that better uh, companionship. And then fame, you don't call it fame. You call it insecurity and not being appreciated at work and nobody knows what I'm doing and I, what I do doesn't matter. Uh, you don't think of yourself as hungry for fame, but that's actually all that is. So there's a free diagnosis for you. Uh, you didn't know you were really out for fame. Uh, it's just coming from a deep uh, place of insecurity. And so you're praying, God, uh, uh, get, help me feel more secure and that I'm noticing that my work matters. And if you'll check that off um I think that's good I think that's good and I'll even go to church if the church will tell me how I can be you know more filled with health and do positive things maybe like like church is like a new year's resolution kind of thing every every Sunday and help me be more prosperous and give me like some recipes for my relationships and and help me know how to have better relationships and really help me with this insecurity you know I'd be glad to do that um I think that would be the best that'd be the best for me that would apply to me where's uh Where's forgiveness for cosmic treason on that list? It's not on mine. I mean, yes, I'm a Christian. I, I perfunctorily pray most days, oh yeah, and forgive me my sins. I kind of tack it on. But where's the, where's the agony over sin? Where's the realization of what he's done for me? Health? You looking for health? Tom, if I give you health, at best, that's a temporary gift. What about getting right with me? What about celebrating that? Your primary need is to be in a right relationship with God and maybe, just maybe, God will leave some of these things unfulfilled if it drives you to him. But Jesus says, okay, but I get it. I understand this is very hard to, this is very hard to, I get it. Very hard to understand. And humans are visual learners, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do. What's the problem with saying your sins are forgiven? The problem is you don't know if it worked or not. Whereas if you do a healing, be healed. Everybody's gonna know. If he was healed, it worked. If he, if he can't walk anymore, you better try it again. It didn't work, fair? So Jesus says, okay, okay, okay. Demonstrably, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? And everybody's like, sins are forgiven. Why? Because anybody can say your sins are forgiven. I can walk around saying your sins are forgiven and your sins are forgiven. But we won't know if it worked. But 
when you say, take up your bed and walk, and he can't do it, the proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, that's got real evidence to it. So Jesus says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Verse 10. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do this miracle, and, I'm gonna, and I know it's what y'all came for, I know. But I'm going to heal him physically for one reason. It's not just for his benefit. Hey, I mean, it is for your benefit. Relax. But, uh, yeah, it's not just for your benefit. What else? It's to demonstrate something. In fact, may I go so far as to say, every time Jesus did a miracle of healing, it was to demonstrate something. I need you to know, just like I have authority over the physical, every time you think about that healing, every time you think about that miracle, it's to remind you, I've got authority over spiritual realities. And you can take confidence in me, and you can believe in me, because you're going to see what I can do in the physical. But what I do in the physical is not the ultimate. Why? Because he's going to one day die again. But what I do in the spiritual is forever. So some of you are questioning my authority, and you've, you've liked me as a miracle worker and a healer. Well, which is easier, to say this or to say your sins are forgiven? And if I can do the lesser, you can believe me for the greater. I'm fine. So just so, the only reason I'm doing this is so that you may know I've got authority to forgive sins. That's why I'm here. That's the great benefit I'm going to bestow on planet earth. That is what I came to seek and to save the lost. To help you remember that, he said to the paralytic, fine, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, verse 12, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now they explode. Now they celebrate. When Jesus said, all your sins are forgiven, everybody's like, But now that you do the healing, everybody's high-fiving. I mean, right? The four friends start chest-bumping, and they run down like they just scored a touchdown. Yeah, we knew he could heal, right? They're high-fiving. They're, Jesus, that was great. He's like, of course it was great, right? I mean, everybody, and they're running home, and they're dancing, and everybody's celebrating the physical healing. And you wonder if Jesus maybe was just a little bit disappointed about the catastrophic failure to see the point. I know there's not a one-to-one correlation, I think you would say. But you've got to see the connection. Can you put that to-do list back up there? I know it's out of order, but... You know, we, we worry so much about, God, what about health? What about prosperity? What about these things? I think God's like, because I knew you were going to worry about that so much, I tried to settle this in the first two chapters of the Bible. The reason that stuff gets broken is because of your primary need for forgiveness. It's because of sin. It goes back to the very first two chapters in the Bible, the Garden of Eden. And in chapter 3, cosmic treason, when humans, no God, we don't want you to be our Lord, and we ate from the forbidden fruit, saying, no God, we want to we be our own lords. Check the list, man. What was not affected by that? Nothing. Everything is now under that curse. What happened to their bodies? Now, instead of living forever in physical bodies, now death enters the world. Bodies begin to break down. Prosperity. Oh, Adam, remember how, remember how prosperity used to come easy and the ground would just produce the fruit? Now what are you going to get for all your work and all your labor? Now how are you going to get that 401k and that IRA and that prosperity and all that work? Thorns and thistles. That's how. Now you got all the things about work. That, it's only because of his grace that work is still a little fun. The rest, it's because of the fall. There's a balance there. We did a whole series on it. You can go back and look. Companionship. What happened? And some of you are like, amen to that. Yeah, that, that, you know, because I, you know, 
bozo over here, my ex, and then, you know, and all that. Everybody can attest the breakdown of relationships. Where do you think that comes from? In the fall of man, immediately, Adam and Eve severed in some sense. Cain and Abel, so forth and so on. And fame, all that insecurity, all that need to cover up in the garden, they were unashamed. Now everybody's looking to make a name for themselves. Why? Because we rejected the name he freely gave us. Well, when you connect those dots, listen to me, listen to me carefully. You gotta hear this. It's not a one-to-one correlation. The book of Job, John 9, and pretty much the whole Bible say it's not a one-to-one correlation. So don't do that. Don't, be, don't, don't do that. Don't say, oh, you're sick? Hmm, I wonder in what way you angered the Lord. Right? That, we've tried to take care of that. Go back and read the book of Job or John 9 or pretty much the whole Bible, and you realize it's not a one-to-one correlation, but there is a general correlation. There's a general connection. And if you get right with God, and if you are forgiven of your sins, you'll notice it's not a one-to-one correlation either. All your health problems don't go away, your prosperity problems don't go away, your companionship problems don't go away, fame problems don't go away, and yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, when that is set right, some of these things have a fighting chance to fall into place as well. It's amazing how that works. All I'm trying to tell you today is that your deepest need is not often your most pressing need or what you think is your felt need and your perceived need is not your ultimate need. But if you start to connect the dots, if you start to realize, wait a minute, I've been set right with God. I've got the forgiveness of sins. Then even if you don't have health one day, even if you don't have prosperity, you can say, yeah, but I got the one thing that really matters. And, 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 and to somebody who has not yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what, do you realize if you are not a believer in Jesus, you are bound for an eternal hell. If, you're, if you are a Christian, then the toils and troubles of this life, this is as bad as life will ever get for you, ever. And if you are not a believer, this life, this short life here on earth is as good as life will ever get for you. If you're a Christian, all your bad things will turn out for good. All your good things can never truly be lost. And the best things are yet to come. And if you are not, none of those promises are for you. Does that make sense? So getting right with God, the forgiveness of sin, that's the top of our priority list. And that's what Jesus came to offer. Now in closing, I'd like to do a little thought experiment. Just humor me, bear with me. And let's imagine that we could, um, let's imagine that we could invite as a guest speaker this uh, healed paralytic man to come to Coleman, Alabama and to give his testimony. He's been in heaven now for, oh, let's see, 2,000 years. I'm trying to add up. Is this, what would this happen like 30 AD and 2020 has been like three years long? So carry the one. All right, so like, like 2,000 years. And he's been in heaven and he comes here and we invite him to Coleman's, so like from heaven to heaven. And he, um, and he shares his testimony. And he, I wonder if he might say something like this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I remember that day. I remember that day. We called it Thursday. You call it Mark 2. And I'll never forget uh, that glorious day when, when I met Jesus. And uh, he changed everything. He changed everything. And I just got to stop right now and give a shout out to my four guys, right? I mean, without them, you know. So super, super thankful for my friends. And you know who you are since no one else will for throughout history. You were not named, but God knows. Um, so I love you guys and really want to be thankful for that. Um, but because of that day, everything changed. And 
whoa, man, he, um, y'all, when he healed me, I jumped up so fast out of there. He not only healed me, but consider this. I'd never walked my whole life. So he not only healed me, but in that moment, he also like, did, uh, like, did all my physical therapy. Uh, I didn't have any rehab, like no, no six weeks. Of, I, I just learned, I, I got muscle memory in there and I was able to run and walk. And because of that, I'd begged for every morsel my whole life. But because of that, I was able to go and get a job, finish my education, and I got a job. And uh, in, anyway, one day as I was working, I never thought I'd have a job. Me, get to, get to work, it was awesome. And while I was working, I met uh, this girl and we ended up getting married. I never thought, of, I, and we had kids. And I got this family and I thought it was all because of Jesus and this healing. I, st- I still can't get over it. And I lived like, I lived another 30 years after that. And I gotta tell you, every day I would just wake up and think, God's been good to me. God's been good to me. It was awesome. And I had, I had a, a 30 years. But then, uh, me and all my friends, and it happens. <laughs> It'll happen to you if it hadn't already. We, we got old and started getting frail. And then one by one, each one of those friends died. And there was a tremendous irony. I was asked to be a pallbearer at each one of their funerals. At first there were three of us, then two, then one, the, uh, you know, uh, And I just noticed the irony that like 30 years ago, these guys had to carry me when my body was helpless. And here I am carrying their body. It just struck me. And then my family died um, and I was all alone. And at the end of my life, um, there I was frail and weak. And at the end of my life, uh, I I was on a bed. I was on a mat. And that's when it hit me. I'm so grateful for these 30 years. But here I am right back, motionless, on a mat. And this is what struck me. If all God had done for me that day was give me physical healing, what a cruel joke that would have been. Because 30 years went by like that. So thank God that when he looked at me, he didn't just meet what I thought was my pressing need and the crowd's pressing need. Oh, glory to God. He met my real need. Because I've been 2,000 years now by his side. And let me tell you, now I know. Now I have perspective. Now I realize what my deepest need really is. It's God and to be right with God and to be in a right relationship with God and I think he would plead with you if you are not yet a child of God if you're listening to the sermon online you got up early 1045 central on a Sunday morning you're hearing this wherever you're watching this if you're here in the room if you are not yet a believer oh you're so concerned about those pressing needs what about your deepest need don't delay again the application couldn't be clearer you need to be saved today here's how receive him as Lord and Savior admit to him You cannot save yourself. Believe that God sent him to die for you on the cross of Calvary. He was bearing your wrath. Believe him. Trust him. Believe that he rose again on the third day and now is inviting you to follow him and say yes to him and receive forgiveness of sins. Do that today. Do that right now. If you are a believer, the application is to me so, so clear 
this week, how does that change the way you look at health and prosperity and companionship? Does it not let you realize, even if I get these things or I don't, I've got the one thing no one can take away. I'm eternally secure. Does that not give you encouragement? Well, I'm going to ask the musicians to come and lead us in a time of response where we can respond in just those two ways. If you're not a believer, that today would be the day of your salvation. If you are a believer, that you would delight and take great fresh encouragement from the fact that of all the things, health and prosperity and all that stuff, that it's forgiveness of sin and that, that you have that and that delight in that and ponder that. That now heaven is our home instead of an eternal hell? How can that not make us live entirely different lives, completely under his lordship? After all these years, I think there still lies one question that is still with us. Because it's a double, it's a double entendre. It, 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 there's two layers. The Anchor Bible Commentary Series is a pretty scholarly, uh, one of the more scholarly uh, uh, series. Um, uh, I've never read it. But um, uh, it says in there, uh, there's this one quote. It says, you know, after 2,000 years of study and research, we still don't really know the answer to this question, do we? Which is easier? To say, take up your bed and walk? Or to say, son, your sins are forgiven? And I know what they mean. It's, it's a double layer. In other words, ostensibly, what Jesus is saying is, which is easier to demonstrate? If I say your sins are forgiven, no big deal. Anybody can say that. But if I say take up your bed and walk, there's got to be some proof. So that, on the one level, that's what he means. But on the other, don't you wonder if he was saying something a little deeper? Which is easier? For him to be a miracle worker that day and do a healing? Or to forgive those sins? Which is easier? Let me ask it this way. Which is costlier? Hmm? If all he is is a miracle worker, it doesn't cost Jesus anything. In fact, have you considered to be any, any miracle worker can say you're, you're, you're healed, go and walk. Any miracle worker can do that. But only the Savior of the world can say, sons, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knows in that moment, ponder that moment, that fateful moment in Mark 2. If he just heals the guy and leaves out the forgiveness of sins, if he just heals the guy, he will then go on to have the most prosperous, famous, wealthy career in ministry the world has ever known. He will, I mean, he will, they, the, the scribes will love him, the people will love him, he'll be rich, he'll be famous, he'll be a miracle worker, people will come from all around, they will eventually make him king by force, probably greater than Rome, and to this day, he would be mentioned alongside people like Confucius and Muhammad and Buddha if he were just a miracle worker. But he knows, he knows, if he says, son, your sins are forgiven, he knows that is a path that will lead to Calvary's cross. Oh, the shadow of the cross falls early over the gospel of Mark. And he knows that will cost everything. To the scribes who thought, you can't just forgive sin. Where's the lamb? He is the lamb. You can't just forgive sin. What about the temple? I'm the true temple. What about the high priest? I'm the great high priest. What about the broken body and the blood? You'll see. You'll see just a miracle worker if he's just a miracle worker we'd be talking about him as one among equals but if he's the lamb of god and he's come to forgive sin he's not in the same conversation with muhammad and confucius and buddha no 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 no. then he's the king of kings worthy of all worship
Will you pray with me? God, grant to us that we may see with fresh eyes that you are the king of kings, that you have authority over the physical and you have authority over the spiritual. God, forgive us because it seems like so many times I, what I think is my deepest need is not actually my deepest need. So I whine and I'm ungrateful. Meanwhile, you've met my deepest need. So forgive me of that. Grant me fresh encouragement and grant our people fresh encouragement, Lord. Everybody who's here in this today. For those that are not believers, that today would be the day they receive you as Lord and Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.